Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigSceneDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. We're within weeks of the gem of thoroughbred racing, the Kentucky Derby. And to prepare, we're going to talk about one of the greatest riders and horses in history as an award-winning author on the subject talks about his book, The Turcots, The Remarkable Story of Horse Racing Dynasty, Secretary, and more with Curtis Stock coming up in just a moment. Hey, this is Darren Hayes. You've probably heard me on the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch. Well, welcome to my journey of learning more about sports history. And we're going to do it by learning about the great athletes and the uniforms that they wore as they both tell a lot about the games that we love and have watched so much throughout most of our lives. These are the chronicles I'm going to share with you on what I've learned through my journey in the Sports Jersey Dispatch. Hello, my friends of sports history. This is Darren Hayes of the Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your place for all things great in sports history. And you are in for a real treat today, as uh, same as I am, as we are going to be talking to uh, an author that is a Canadian Horse Racing Hall of Fame inductee, an 11 time sovereign winner as a writer uh, for the best thoroughbred story of the year. He has a new book out called The Turcots, The Remarkable Story of the Horse Racing Dynasty. His name is Curtis Stock. Curtis, welcome to the pig pen. Wow, thank you for having me. Well, sir, it is quite an honor. Uh, you know, I want to mention that uh, yourself and Firefly Books uh, have sent me a copy of your book to, to pre-read, and I got done reading it a, a couple weeks ago, and wow, I was like floored by this amazing story that you shared with the world uh, about this this great uh, thoroughbred racing family, and uh, we'll get more back to more of them in a second. But, you know, I guess we want to learn a little bit more about you. We Okay, we know you are Canadian Horse Racing Hall of Fame inductee, and uh, you've been writing for you know over three decades yeah. how, how, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your writing career and how you became involved with horse racing well i started at the uh writing at the university of calgary newspaper and i uh, used to write stories and i'd uh, put them under the name of forward pass and i'd slip them under the door of the uh the gauntlet was the newspaper then and then they'd appear in the next issue and i thought this is great and i kept writing them until I found out that they got paid for it. And then I walked in and I said, I'm forward pass. <laughs> That's got to be one of the all-time great pen names, that forward pass. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a thoroughbred name, forward pass, too. So. Oh, okay. I was I was thinking from a football connection. Well, football, but... <laughs> yeah. Everything, yeah. <laughs> You're right, right. Okay, so you uh you know how did so you wrote the sports uh you, you finally were getting paid for it. So how did yeah. the connection into the thoroughbred racing come about? Well, my uh, parents used to uh, have friends. They were called the Morrisons who lived in Calgary, Alberta. That's where we lived and where I grew up. And uh, they used to go to the races all the time. And one day I tagged along with them and uh, bet. A, my first bet was a Quinella 
and it paid $36 and I won and I thought, how easy is this? And I was hooked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, uh, that seems like you always do that when you, you first go to a racetrack yeah. and you take somebody <laughs> to track for the first time and they always win and you can, yeah. they like, set that hook in you and then you're just right. really in. And they're really in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how they do that. Okay. You, you, uh, you know, been writing about uh, Canadian horse racing for a long yeah. time. And uh, th- this uh, family that you wrote your book about, the Turcots, am I saying their name correctly, Turcots? Turcots. The Turcots. Okay. Now, I mean, I-, I really didn't know much about them other than I knew that Ron rode right. you know, the famous race, uh, the-, the Triple Crown with Secretariat, uh, right. which I'm sure we'll get more into here in a, a minute. But uh, boy, I-, I I didn't know about their story, but you take the story of this family uh, from the very beginnings, their very humble beginnings, uh, and yeah. take their life story through some high points and low points all through the book. And wow, it's really an amazing, amazing journey. You take the readers on. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So, yeah, but so, it, is, it is quite a journey that they went through. I mean, it's uh, the odds of five uh, brothers from a lumberjack family becoming thoroughbred jockeys and all good ones is got to be a million to one. It, it, it certainly do, it does. And uh, you know, not just lumberjack family, but they were, they were, kind of what we, I guess we would consider in our day to be, I got the impression, pretty poverty-stricken oh, at yeah. the time. Yeah, and their house burned down uh, about three weeks before Christmas, and they were left with nothing. Everything yeah. they had was gone, and, and uh, the dad uh, of the family uh, was so broke that he had canceled the insurance policy just days before. Oh, tragic. But uh, they seemed to survive. They had a seems like they had a pretty nice uh, bunch of people in their community that yeah. uh, really helped them out. And some for sure, some of the the older siblings that had moved away. It seemed like they were coming back and, and trying to help out the family. And they pulled together. And you could tell that there was a definitely a love in that family. And uh, I think that's a really important thing that that helped keep them together in that those early tragedies of the fire. Yeah, well, for sure, like the. The province or the Drummond, the the town really all came together for them and helped them out and, you know, got them clothes from the, from the Salvation Army. And it was, I mean, they were starting from nothing. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Now, m- maybe you could describe uh, wh- where, where Drummond is uh, for the listeners. It's in New Brunswick, which is a province in the Maritimes, and it's on, uh, it's on the western uh, border of New Brunswick. Close okay. to Grand Falls. Okay. All right. So and this is, uh, you know, I, I guess at the, the time, this would have been like the nineteen late 1950s, early 1960s? A little earlier, yeah, when the when the fire happened, yeah. Okay. All right. So, you know, things, you uh, know, this is kind of a, a remote town, I'm guessing, with being a, yes. you know, a lot of lumber industry. Lumber and potato farming. Okay. Well, you got, you got a little bit of food and something to, to burn to keep you warm huh? <laughs> yeah and make a living on but so i guess uh, the the story really centers around most of it with uh the, the brother ron turcott and uh he started you know his uh early career of uh in work is working with his father as a lumberjack and it was pretty pretty hard labor it was yeah i mean they were He'd be gone for months at a time, and uh, it was Ron's job to look after the horses in the, in the lumberjacks, 
when they, you know, when they felled the trees, and then they'd have the horses haul the the trees, and they they, they would cut them and and send them to the mill. So Ronnie, he he grew up with the horses. They were draft horses, a lot bigger than thoroughbreds, a lot slower too. But uh, he, that's where he got his love for for horses. He knew nothing at all about horse racing. I mean, his start into horse racing was unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh, pretty remarkable. You I mean, and you portray that very well in the book. That I mean, I I don't even think uh, you even say the word. Uh, you know, thoroughbred racing or any any connotation towards racing, except for the the, the workhorse uh, that the, the family had to, to help with the trees, like you just described. So, how does Ron become connected with horse racing? Well, it's a uh, it's an unbelievable story, really. He was they were he went to Toronto from Drummond. He was tired of working in the woods, and he wanted to get a job. He was hoping to be a carpenter, like his older brother was in Toronto. But when he got to Toronto, there was a carpenter's strike. So he wound up picking worms in graveyards and uh, golf courses, and he'd get uh, $3 for a 1,000 worms. So he wasn't making much money. And <laughs> uh, he went down there with his good friend, Reg Peltier, and uh, they were broke, and they had run out of money, and, and they were about to leave, and Ron came down the boarding house stairs where he was staying, in uh, Toronto when they went to Toronto and the landlord happened to be watching the Kentucky Derby, which Ron knew nothing about. And he asked what he was watching. And he said, Kentucky Derby, it's the biggest horse race in the world. And, uh, and the landlord said, you know, you can't find a job. This is what you should be doing. You should be a jockey. And Ron said, what's a jockey? And the landlord said, the little guys in the white pants. And the next day they went to Woodbine racetrack and somehow some way they got past the security and and uh, the racing secretary at the time took them across the street to E.P. Taylor's barn, which was one of the biggest barns in, in Canadian horse racing history. And uh, he got a job as a hot walker. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And, you know, I, th I think it's, he had to really transform his, his body to get to the point of being a jockey because, oh, yeah. because here's a guy that I'm assuming had to be a, a pretty uh, strapping lad from, you know, handling lumber and doing yeah. the, the hard labor of what he was, you know, did to back at home and uh, had to get down to weight. And that there's, you talk a lot about that with uh, not only Ron, but with his brothers as well. Yeah. Yeah, Ron didn't, he was lucky. He, he had a battle weight at the start. He weighed 128 pounds when he first came to the track and was told he had to get down to 108, which is still a lot of weight to lose. But uh, one of his youngest brother, Eves, weighed 150 pounds, and he got down somehow. But Rudy battled the weight, Noel battled the weight, Eves battled the weight, and Roger battled the weight. And they would do everything they could to lose weight. You know, they'd go into steam boxes and saunas and they'd put on heavy layers of clothing and turn up the heat on the car as high as it would go and drive for hours and take diuretics like Lasix. And, you know, and they would, uh, there's a lot of jockeys that, you know, really have a, a bad time of it and are bulimic and they purge. And it's not, it's not a easier, a fun part of the job. No, I, I guess not. So I, I guess that's one of the the many tragedies that you you talk about. I mean, it's a tragic situation where these these guys have to make weight. Uh, not only the Turcots, but like you said, their their counterparts who were the other uh, riders on the thoroughbreds, and 
it's kind of a sad state that we don't really appreciate what these uh, these men and women do to to keep their jobs and their livelihood because, like you described, they they won't let them on the horse and, and in races, so they they aren't making any money if they go overweight. Right. No, they have to weigh at least you know 115 pounds to get a get a job these days. You know, with the saddle and then the, the equipment that they have to ride at 118. So. Uh, you, you gotta be light to be a jockey and it's, uh, it's something that should be changed because the scale of weights has been around the same scale of weights has been around for hundreds of years and kids are bigger these days than they used to be. People are bigger and uh, they should boost it up and not make it as difficult as it is in Europe. They, they ride a lot with a lot more weight. European jockeys can weigh like 130 pounds sometimes even. Jeez, I, I guess if they wanted me to be a rider, I'd only be able to put like one leg up on the horse or something. I'd have, I'd have to chop it off me or something, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, no, but, it's a, definitely a grueling part of the job. And, uh, you know, you got to watch everything you eat and you can't eat very much. And it, it's tough. Ron sort of had to work his way through the ranks, so to even get oh, to the yeah. point of being jockey. Besides losing weight, he had to uh, go through some of the other labor duties that are associated with racing. Yeah, he he was a hot walker at first. When he when he got the job, the first day he got the job, the the guy uh, Joe Thomas said, uh, "Here you go." And Ron said, "What do you do?" And and he said, "Just keep turning left." So he just would lead the horse, and they'd go around and around in circles, turning left. And he did that for about a year. And then the uh, the farm manager said, "You know something about horses, don't you?" And Ronnie said, "Well, I grew up in a." in a lumberjack family and my job was to look after the horses. And he says, I can tell. He says, cause you like horses and they like you. So he had that affinity for horses all along, even though he had never before then he had never ridden in a saddle, even like he rode bareback, you know, these big draft horses. Hmm. That's amazing. And I, I think it comes up a couple of times during, during the book, during your story, especially with Ron, that he sort of recognizes things in horses, some of their characteristics and yeah. their traits and knows if he's going to like them and knows if he's yeah. going to work, work with them. He's sort of almost like a horse whisperer, I, I guess. Yeah, it's true because uh, trainers used to come to him for advice on what to do with their horses. You know, if the horse wasn't running good or whatever, they would go to Ronnie and ask him what they should be doing. And uh, he would tell them what the horse needed, you know, a different bridle, different bit, blinkers or whatever. And Reaver Ridge, who uh, almost won the Triple Crown the year before Secretariat in 1972, was a very timid horse. And Ron and a couple outriders worked with him so that he wasn't be afraid of horses anymore because uh, Reaver Ridge was very finicky and very shy and he would duck away from other horses. So they would put two horse, a horse on each side of him and, and gallop down the stretch. And then they would have him come inside a horse and around a horse. And uh, Lucien Loren was the trainer, but Ronnie, I think, was the real trainer of uh, Reaver Ridge and Secretariat. Now, is it common, I mean, for, because uh, I'm not, you know, super familiar with racing, is it common for the jockeys to be that attached to their horse? No. No? no. Okay. So, so no. this is kind of special what, what Ron Turcotte was, was doing with these horses. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, he just had an affinity for horses and they listened to him and he listened to them. Like you say, could have been a horse whisperer. 
Yeah. Okay. So he has this this great ride in 1972 in Riva Ridge. Has some yeah. success. You know, after having a, a great a career in Canada, uh, the, the Canadian uh, Racer of the Year, I, th- I believe, a couple of times or uh, some yeah. major awards in Canada. Comes down two years know, after he came to Toronto. You know, two years after he's out of the woods, he was Canada's leading rider. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, after losing uh, almost 20 percent of your body weight too. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And uh, living in the city for the first time. Amazing. Now he, uh, so he, you know, takes two legs of the triple crown with Reva Ridge. And during that time that he's with Reva Ridge, he becomes associated with secretariat. And maybe I I love the way that you describe his first uh, uh, instincts and his first look of what he felt about secretariat. Well, when he first saw the horse, he said to Lucien Laurent, the trainer, he said, wow, who's that big fella? <laughs> and, you know, he knew that. I mean, this horse was a great-looking horse. I mean, uh, someone wrote a long time ago that Secretariat had muscles in his eyelashes. So Secretariat could run. They always knew, like, right when he, when he was a two-year-old, he was very special. They knew he was going to be something good. He was, he was a big horse, but he wasn't overly big. But, you know, I mean, he wasn't clumsy or anything he was just he was fast horse he was the greatest horse of all time took the opportunity uh, a few days ago to watch a youtube video of that belmont stakes in 1973 oh, yeah. and uh you know i was i was a little young i was only like six years old when that race was run i never really appreciate as much as i did now that i'm in my 50s uh, sitting right. and watching that but wow what a what a race uh he He's in on the rail most of the race, and uh, yeah, a couple couple horses jumped out ahead of him. You know, maybe by a half a length or something. But uh, he got right in there in the mix, and then about the halfway point, he really started to pull away. Yeah, he just lead just kept widening and widening and widening, and he won by as we know by thirty one lengths, which is about the size of a football field. So it was an unbelievable moment, and. Ron, you know, Lucian kept saying, just don't fall off. (laughs) He said, what is he doing? What is he doing? Why is he going so fast? He's going to have nothing left. But uh, Ron said that Secretary did it all on his own. He never asked him to run at all. Wow. Truly amazing. And, of course, you know, Secretary has been uh, – and. Ron, Ron alongside him has been, just been immortalized, you know, with having a movie, a major motion yeah. picture made about him and telling the, the story. Um, there's, I saw there was a bronze statue of Ron on Secretariat, uh, I believe it was from the Belmont, the, they, you know, from yeah. that, that photo there with the, the checkerboard uh, pattern on Secretariat. And uh, uh, there's you know, just been uh, amazing things have happened. So, getting to hear the story of the rider that was on secretariat that you've done, sir, is just uh, quite, quite a service to to tell us the whole full picture of that. Not just hear about the, the uh, beast he was on, but the, the man that uh, was riding it and has a great big part of the race as well. Well, that statue of secretariat and uh, Ron Turcotte is in Grand Falls where New Brunswick, where Ron lives. So okay. it's a, uh, it's a centerpiece of the town. Uh, it looks like it's gigantic. I would say eight foot tall or something. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It'd be about that size. Yeah. Amazing. Quite a tribute to him. So that was sort of uh, Ron's high point, I guess, at 72 and 73 Secretary. I mean, how could you get any better having a horse, the greatest horse of all time, probably in Secretariat? So, right. But, but he rode a lot of good horses. I mean, Fort Marcy and Chuvet and, uh, 
he rode most of the best horses that that were around at that time when he was riding. Okay, and and he's you know being sort of the first generation rider. You know, like his, his like you said earlier, his family didn't really have any riding experience. He didn't really None, know much about no. it. But his younger siblings aspired to be like their their brother Ron. And uh, maybe oh, you yeah. could tell us about a couple of those guys. Well, Noel was the uh, first one to follow him, and. Noel wanted to be an electrician, and and uh, he actually, when they built, when after their house burned down, he he rewired the new house that they built. But he wasn't really sure he wanted to be a jockey. But when he saw how much money that Ron was making, and how much little he was making in the in the forest, it changed his mind, and he went and he went and followed Ron to Toronto. And then after uh, uh, Noel, then Rudy came along, and Rudy always wanted to be a jockey. He just used to dream of being a jockey and he'd practice how he would look in the winner's circle and how he would pose and how he would talk <laughs> to reporters. And, and he was, he was, he, Rudy really wanted to be a jockey. And then Roger was uh, the leading apprentice rider in North America in 1975. And then uh, Ease came along and he was one of the top jockeys in Alberta here. Just a tremendous story. So you had uh, but five brothers in all that you know, had some great prominence in uh, you know North American horse racing. That's uh, that's quite an honor for that family, I'm sure. Yeah, a family of fourteen kids too. Wow, yeah, tremendous. Now they there were some bad things that befell this yeah. family. You know, they had the fire in earlier in their life, uh, but as they became, you know more well-renowned in the horse racing uh some tragedies befell the family and i don't know if do you want to speak like to speak about those a little bit yeah well ronnie of course uh he broke his back in 1978 in new york and and uh he, he uses the wheelchair now um and he was just really getting to the top of his career when that had to happen and that was you know that was obviously a major tragedy in in horse racing in north america but uh, Noel uh, and Rudy and Roger, they were alcoholics. And Rudy uh, died uh, from alcoholism. And Roger and uh, Noel both uh, took their lives. And Eves was hurt in a race in Alberta in 1999 and uh, fractured his skull and had three brain bleeds and was told he could never ride again. So... They all had their share of troubles. Yeah, that just tells you, you know, what a, a stressful and uh, yeah. a dangerous sport it really yeah. is. Uh, you have these, you know, large animals that you're riding at uh, breakneck speeds, and uh, and some bad things can happen. And it did befall you know, a couple of these brothers. So, wow, amazing story. Now, I guess uh, before we go too much further here, maybe you could uh, once again tell us the name of the book and where folks might be able to get a copy of it. It's uh, Turcotte's, a remarkable story of a horse racing dynasty. Uh, it's been on Amazon for about a couple weeks, and uh, it's now in bookstores. It'll be at uh, Barnes & Noble, right? And it's uh, in bookstores just this week. It just came out this week, so... Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful cover, folks. Uh, you know, that has the name, you know, the the Turcotte, some big bold letters, and there's a picture of our our guy Ron Turcotte on uh, Secretariat. Uh, looks like at the Belmont uh, on a beautiful photograph. Yeah, it is a good photograph. It's an iconic photograph. We have actually a picture of that uh, 
in our basement. Uh, it was signed by Ronnie, so it's now, a it's a good picture. Now I take it you you've had some association with the family and have been able to talk yeah. to them through the book. Oh yeah, yeah. I went to New Brunswick three years ago and I spent uh, three days with Ronnie, and uh, he was just couldn't have been more accommodating and helpful, and you know would talk about whatever you wanted to talk about. And but before that, I had known, I had known Eves because he rode in Alberta and and he lived in he lives in Saint Albert, which is a suburb of Edmonton where I live. So I got to know him very well, and we had hundreds of hours of conversations. And uh, Roger, uh, before he took his life, we went to dinner many times, and he told me you know a lot of stories about how stressful it was to be a jockey, and and uh, he got hurt. And uh, he was never the same after he got hurt, but uh, I knew him very well. And I tracked down Rudy when most people didn't even know where Rudy was. He was in Florida uh, and he wasn't riding anymore. And he was, he was not in good shape, but uh, I talked to him hours on the phone too. And Noel was the only one of the five brothers that I never did speak to. Wow. And you, you definitely, I think you, you did their story justice and you, you brought honor to the family. And, uh, you know, you, you, like I said earlier, you took me, the reader, and uh, those that are going to buy this book, uh, you take us on quite a journey. It's an emotional journey. You really become connected uh, to the these men that, uh, you know, rode so bravely on these horses and, uh, you know, you feel that you feel their pain, you feel their excitement. And uh, that's the object of great writing and sir i think i think you get that in this book so i think this book's gonna do very well for you well i appreciate that i hope you're right yeah i i think i will be and i i think uh you might you might maybe you'll see some movies out of this or some kind of television program or something because this is a really really incredible story about this family and very well written and you know folks uh make sure you get a copy of this book let's uh you know support this author and this family story because uh it's definitely one that needs to be told and uh mr stock does it quite well now i guess uh once uh Question I got to ask you before we let you go. Now, who do you like in the Kentucky Derby? It's going to be coming up in a few weeks here. Well, I like the favorite Forte, but I don't bet favorites. So I'm looking for a long shot and I still haven't found one yet. But uh, I won't be betting on Forte, but I think he'll probably win. He's he's a pretty good horse. Okay. All right, sir. Well, I appreciate you for your time. Uh, and uh, we'll make sure people get your book. It's called The Turcots, The Remarkable Story of a Horse Racing Dynasty. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and it's in uh, many bookstores here uh, the last few weeks. So, uh, Mr. Curtis Stock, we appreciate you coming on and telling us about this book and this great story about the Turcot family. I appreciate you having me. Sorry, but my pitching coach just called timeout, and he's coming out to the mound. I think I'm going to get yanked for a reliever. We'll see you back tomorrow for some more great sports history on Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. We invite you to check out our websites, jerseydispatch.com and pigskindispatch.com. Not only see the daily sports history, but to experience the preservation of great events and people that play the games. Find us on Pigskin Dispatch. It's also on social media outlets of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all your daily sports history. Pigskin Dispatch is happy to be associated with the Sports History Network, the sports headquarters of yesteryear, found at sportshistorynetwork.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network. 
your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.